Welcome to Birth Stories in Color, a podcast creating community for people of color to share and learn from birth stories of all types. We're your hosts, Laurel Gurrier and Danielle Jackson. Today's episode features Shanice Chantel. On July 20th, 2019, at age 33, she was wheeled into the operating room after delivering her baby girl to have her tubes tied. From this, her journey would turn into a 54-day hospital stay, a 20-minute cardiac arrest, and physical and emotional scars for Shanice. We are grateful to hear her truth today. Thank you so much for having me. Yes, welcome. Hello, welcome. welcome to the show. Let's get into it. Can you start by telling a little bit about yourself and your family? Absolutely. So again, my name is Shani Chantel. I'm a native out here in Jacksonville, Arkansas. Um, I, at age 16, I ended up becoming a young mom. So um, I was always keen to survival and responsibility. Um, I was raised from a village because my mom was a single parent and we had supportive family to help uh, support my mom and us and everything. So we were shown a lot of love. Um, I still had to finish high school. I ended up graduating high school and then I also had to work full-time job. So I ended up, after I finished high school, I went to technical college and from there, I ended up going to medical, medical school, finished that, and then I ended up working at my dream job, which is an Arkansas Heart Hospital. And um, basically, in between time, um, I was always adventurous, um, really enjoyed nature, traveling, and I end up having a child, another child, 16 years later, and then while still working at the Arkansas Heart, and then after that child, a year after I had her, end up having another, which is my third daughter. So motherhood has always been um, nature to me. Can you tell us a little bit about your pregnancy? Absolutely. So within um, all of my pregnancies, I always was a single uh, parent, a single mom, um, trying to like add everything together just to prepare prepare for these babies because the father was not in the picture. While still working a full-time job, um, I had a healthy pregnancy and um, I usually am the type of mom that will usually bounce back after three days in a hospital, bounce back to um, still enjoy my life. And so throughout my pregnancy, I made sure that I went to all of my appointments, made sure that I was abreast with my care. And so um, I really took care of myself each pregnancy. The third pregnancy was way different than before. Um, it was life altering because I went on maternity leave and on that third pregnancy, I went in to labor. And um, I opt in for a tubal ligation because now I have three daughters. My family is complete. Um, I opt in for that tubal ligation. All I knew was a tubal was simple, harmless. Um, that's, all I did. that's all I knew. I didn't know any of the rest. And so I went in to have that baby. And as soon as I had her, I didn't have that long to have skin to skin with her because they rushed me into the operating room. I really want to breastfeed like I did with all my children because I believe in breastfeeding. And unfortunately with that third child, I was in the operating room for so long that my mom decided that um, we can go, they can go ahead and um, feed the baby. And so that was something that I really wanted to do because it's my last child. And then from there, 
the surgery getting a two top usually supposed to take 20 minutes i was in there an hour and 20 minutes i believe i'm not sure why but i, I understand now and after surgery i went into um, a private room and then i started to show signs that something was wrong um i began to be feverish just showing signs that something is terribly wrong and so they end up doing an ng tube and then they end up doing a feeding tube because i refused to eat i was expecting to go home within three days because at that time my 16 year old was at home taking care of that one year old that newborn was still in a hospital with me up to maybe her third day that she was sent to her first time dad who was not there throughout that pregnancy and so everything was life-changing and so after the feeding tube days passed by on the sixth day i began to feel like deadly ill we're talking about i was so high it felt like someone lit a match put gasoline in me lit a match and i was burning from the inside out and my parents were telling the doctor that something was wrong and my sister was like, I think um, Nisi has an infection because my sister, she come from a background within medical. Um, and my mom, she's, she did housekeeping for a while. And Nisi is a nickname that my family know me by. So my mom said, well, I think you're right. So let me go talk to the doctor and, the, and actually talk to the nurse. So the nurse called the doctor and told them about my symptoms. The nurse came back and said, well, the doctor's going home, said he went home and he will look into, um, he will in investigate the symptom on the following day. Well, I think my mom looked into my eyes and knew that I was not gonna make it. She knew that I was giving up because I was just so hot. They end up putting wet towels on me. They end up moving me by the vent, end up putting ice and I was still burning up and they was freezing. The doctor was cold, nurse was cold. My parents was called in a room. So um, my mom pressured the nurse to contact the doctor again, any doctor, to try to look into the symptoms. Well, they end up ordering a CT scan and the CT scan showed that I had fecal matter and I went into emergency exploratory surgery. Well, as soon as I went into surgery, they end up um, cutting up my abdomen so quickly and then infection poured out. As they steady investigated my, my intestines, they saw abscesses, she steady cleaning, she noticed um, a tear in my bowel, so a perforated bowel, and it was already around my organs. So they had to act very quickly because like I said, I was deadly ill, so they had to put drainage in me, put a wound back on, and then they sent me to CCU. They did cultures, um, before they sent me to CCU, they came back and showed that I had three deadly infections. So from there, um, they had to double up on the antibiotics. Things got a little better. And then I began to, um, on my birthday, I was in the hospital. So I was, I was still in the hospital. So three days turned into 54 days. Um, on my birthday, I went into CCU, back to CCU. And they said, well, you have congestive heart failure, renal failure, upper respiratory failure. And usually on my birthday, I'm always doing something surprising and fun and cake and ice cream. Well, this birthday, I get the news that basically I'm dying. And so, um, things, so things got a little better. 
and then it got worse again. I went into my private room. They said, well, you have double pneumonia. So it was like one thing after the other. It was like a domino effect. And um, I was to myself, I was like, well, I'm not going to survive pneumonia um, because it's, it's pneumonia. But fortunately, by being turned and everything back and forth and walking, I beat pneumonia within a couple of days. Um, in between time, my newborn was coming to the hospital to see me. Her dad brought her up there. Also, that one yo uh, was brought up there by my family members. And when she saw me, she didn't recognize me. She was always crying. But I think she was just afraid to see those cords and everything. I didn't look like her, her mommy, you know. And so... Um, so she didn't come as much because I didn't want her to have that within her thought being afraid of me. And I told my mom, my baby don't know me anymore. And my mom said, you carry that baby for nine months. She will always know you, which she was right. And so um, I was steady in the hospital. Then I began to have nosebleeds um, and I never had nosebleeds before. I began to, um, I had two tr blood transfusions. And so as time progressed, I was ready to go home. A little birdie told me, well, Shanice, if you're ready to go home, let the nurse know, um, and she will let the doctor know, and you have to advocate for yourself. Let them know, let every doctor know you was ready. So I started off with the first doctor because I was seeing seven doctors a day, or more than that. Um, and I was told them I was ready to go home. And they looked at my signs and symptoms, and they approved me, all the doctors approved up to like six o'clock p.m. I got the word that I was going home the following day. My sister was there, my family was there, we was having a good time and everything. And she left me with, um, I'll see you later, Shanice, I'll pick you up in the morning because I was being discharged, finally being discharged and ready to go home. In my mind, I was thinking that I was ready, but I didn't know what to the challenges that was gonna be, um, that I was gonna face when I get home. So as she was traveling home, which is maybe 15 or 20 minutes away from the hospital, uh, in between time, the heart monitor read that my heart was out of rhythm. And everybody just, the nurses, nurses just rushed in like it was state's emergency. By the time they came in, my heart got back into rhythm and they left. And within 15 minutes later, they get an urgent um, call again to get to me fast. And so they rushed in again and they asked me how I was doing. Well, immediately I saw them, but I could not respond. And that's when I flatlined. And within those 20 minutes, my sister got the call. So by the time she pulled in the hospital, I mean, by the time she pulled in her home, she got the call to um, come back to the hospital. And she was like, what's wrong? And she said that uh, the nurse said that I flatlined and they were trying to save my life basically. So she rushing back to the hospital. And as she came within the hospital, um, she was still within her scrubs because she's a she was a hospice aide. And she came into the room and asked the doctors, nurses, what's going on. They assumed she was a nurse. They was like, "What you mean? What's going on?" And they was like, "What you mean? What's going on?" She she flatlined. And my sister passed. Uh, well, she um, she fainted because she saw me as a sister. She saw the cord. She saw the machine. She saw the doctors and nurses. So she um she fainted and the nurse realized that that was my sister and they put her within a um a room and they contacted my family well within those 20 minutes i was 
I was thinking to myself, as soon as I flatlined, I was thinking to myself, well, that's weird. Um, here, I see my body, but I'm somewhere else versus I'm no longer a part of that body. And I was like, oh, I just died. I didn't mean to die because I've been fighting so long to stay alive and it was so easy just to let go. So I transitioned into the afterlife. Within that time, um, they were, they used a Lucas device to try to do the compressions, the CPR. They did five shocks. Uh, they also did some type of um, injection to try to get my heart started. Well, my heart started back within 20 minutes. Um, I didn't even know that I came back um, because they put me in a 48 hour induced coma to take the pressure off my brain and my heart. They also gave me some medication to wipe out the memory. But what they could not wipe off, wipe out is what God wanted me to remember, which was glimpse of the afterlife and for me to share. Um, and so when I came to, um, usually when someone coming out of a coma, they usually like, where am I? What happened? And my sister said, Nisi, you died. I was like, no, I didn't because my mind could not register what took place. And so I went on to ask my mom and I was like, mom, what happened? And she's like, baby, your heart stopped. And, and so I couldn't register, but I can remember hearing my mom say, Nisi, wake up, baby, wake up, baby. So I knew that I was close to her because I could hear my mom. I was in the coma, but I knew I was close because I could hear my mom, but I didn't physically know that I was still a part of this, this side. And so um, I end up getting discharged on September 11th, 2019, because I went in to have the baby on July the 20th. I mean, yeah, I went in to have the baby on July 19th, then I had her on July 20th. So September 11th, I was discharged. After I was discharged, within 24 hours, I began to have stroke-like symptoms, began to tremor, began to, uh, couldn't talk, couldn't walk. And I was sent to, I went to a different hospital because I was too, I was too scared to go to the hospital that I was at previously thinking they're going to keep me again or make another mistake. And so I went to a different hospital and they said that I had volume loss in my brain. So I was having a brain injury. And then um, after that, they discharged me within three days, get a call back saying that I have E. coli that I have to come back. So it's one thing after another. And so I was healed from that. And then on December the 4th, 2019, I ended up getting a pacemaker because for secondary reason, my heart can stop at any time. And ended up getting a pacemaker. And then on a couple of months after that, I end up having those memories. I was watching television one time and I can hear a lady, well, I could see a lady getting CPR and that triggered my experience so I start to remember everything that was taking place. Now I remind you that I was still having to jump back into motherhood. So I still had my 16 year old daughter at the time. I still had that one year old daughter at the time. And throughout this process that newborn, um, I was getting pressured to go ahead and jump into getting her. And so I had IVs in my arm when I was home. I had an IV in my arm. I had a life vest before the pacemaker. I had the wound back, and so I had that baby in one arm, still trying to do motherhood, change your diaper, things of that nature. And then I was, I had the IV in the other. So I was very, very weak, but I had my dad there, and then I had my mom. So I really had good, a good support system. 
And so, um, going back to, I was sitting in bed, I saw a lady get CPR, that's when it triggered my PTSD, and that's when I started to feel depressed. I started to um, feel that it was my fault. I felt that I was no longer a good mom. I felt as though that I let my kids down. I was no longer able to work because I was a sole provider. Um, I was weak. I was, uh, I had anxiety. It was a really tough time. So my dad recommended that I go see a psychiatrist and I saw a counselor psychiatrist. From there I had several sessions because talking about it really gave me therapeutic healing. And then that's when a psychiatrist recommended that um, that I start writing down um, things that took place and for me to write a book. So honey, I know it's a lot, but that's, that is, um, it was a crisis and a challenge, but I made it. We are grateful. We are grateful you are here. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. You're here. Amen. It was a time that I remember uh, when I was sick and I would say to myself, well, you know, when you look at things, you look at it as though um, and when everything around you looks like it's going to be bad. So I was, te I was t telling God, I said, God, you know, I spoke, I spoke scriptures uh, by your stripes. I am healed. I spoke, you know, you said, if I keep this faith as small as a mustard seed, you're going to bring me out. I'm tired. Um, but I didn't want to, I didn't want to die to get out of it. Like I didn't knew that it was going to take place. But what he did was he relieved me and showed me his love by um, showing me um, him, his love outside of my spiritual body. And I got to know my spiritual body and I got to feel his love and his grace. And I felt warm and welcome and the place he had prepared to me, uh, prepared for me. And, um, I began to, I began to feel something so overwhelming, love and joy. And so he showed me that. And then once he showed me that he also sent me home, but I can remember when I first went out and I transitioned into that, um, tunnel experience and I went into it, my, my last vision is of the garden and that it was a flower that was speaking to me. And I believe that was my rebirth with God, um, downloading information to me and everything. And that's why um, I had stuck with God within the lily. When we often talk about birth, we, we describe it as um, that you do, you cross a threshold, right? Like you are, literally leaving yourself especially in that transition Absolutely. period um so to hear you speak on it um your rebirth in another way there's so many comparisons right um mm -hmm. we do we 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 leave ourselves um to be able to then come back to ourselves yes yeah, so if you think about it also when you a baby inside of you and you give birth to that uh, baby that baby is coming from darkness into the light of the world and when you're passing on it's the same you're going from darkness to the light of god or heaven and so um you know it, it just it's just pretty amazing it's really really pretty amazing do you mind sharing your youngest daughter's name so my youngest daughter is kenzie 
Kenzie Elise. And the one under her is Naomi Grace and then Alexis Kiera. And Naomi Grace, um, her name was put into my bosom within my first trimester, but I didn't know what her name actually related to until I dived deeper into um, the scripture of the the um, talking about Naomi and needing that type of grace and felt forgotten and everything. And so every time my daughter would come into the hospital, that gave me grace. And every time I say her name, how is Naomi? You know, it gave me more grace and gave me strength and confidence because at that time, really, um, Naomi was turning one. So within my pregnancy, I was planning on having a big old birthday party. You know, like most moms, it's the baby's first birthday. So you go all out, right? And so I was end up having a big old birthday party because I knew once I have her younger sister, I was going to come home and celebrate Naomi. Well, I end up uh, missing my birthday as well as the own because our birthdays is two days apart. And after I came home the following year, she turned two. And the things that I bought for her first birthday, as far as we were doing a Princess Jasmine theme, right? Or uh, supposed to be a Princess Jasmine um, party. I said, we're going to utilize this because this is what I want to do with my baby. You know, she princess, I'm princess. Let's make it, let's go ahead and do a Princess Jasmine. So that's when we did the photo shoot. And that's what the world is seeing now. So uh, that, that's the reason behind that, that particular picture was a celebration of me and Naomi's birthday that we missed having with one another. So I'm going to make you jump back and then we'll come forward again. But okay. <laughs> so preparing for Kenzie's birth, you had had two previous kids. Was there any prep that you were doing for the birth? And especially thinking about you had you had decided that you were going to do a get your tubes tied what did prep for the birth look like if you did any and then what did preparing for your your tubes type or was that something that came later well um the prep for for Kenzie was no different than the prep for my other children you know I was working at the time so I had to get things little by little and so it wasn't nothing unusual about the preparation for Kenzie and I decided towards my um, last trimester that I was going to get um, the, the tubes tied because it was offered to me. And that was a decision, but I didn't know like the risk of it. And so really within the time of prayer for Kenzie, I was just working, you know, taking care of home, making sure that the family was fed and then, you know, getting clothes along the way and going to my doctor's appointments. So it really wasn't no deeper preparation it was just trying to know that I'm about to give birth and want to make sure that when Kenzie come home that she's well taken care of and everything and I can care for her in a way that I care for my other children and you you spoke a little bit that you you indicated not knowing the risks and I think when we're having these conversations specifically talking about getting the tubes your tubes um, tied when care providers are having these conversations with us, we all we we talk a lot about like informed consent and making sure that we like are laying out completely what someone is preparing for, right? Um, right. So you know, I'm thinking about like what was actually shared, right? Because it in my mind, the way that some care providers tend to share information, it's this very much like 
matter of fact or like, oh, everyone has done this before. Instead of it being like, this is a whole new person. So I need to make sure like I lay it all out. <laughs> right, right. And so, and also with this too, every, what I know now is every surgery carry risk, right? But um, you don't know what you don't know. And so, um, so when I went in and I, and I had that tubal ligation, I didn't know the risk to really say, well, cause I'm, I was from the medical field, but I didn't know the risk of the tubal. Like I need to watch out for, um, certain things that can be like that. I have a leaky bowel, but the doctors and nurses knew. And I was kept, I was kept, um, complaining that I was hurting and I'm coming from being healthy and jumping out of airplanes. No, no heart disease, um, no, uh, upper respiratory problems. And so it would help the doctor that delivered my baby is not the same doctor that I was seeing every month. Um, she was just an on-call doctor. And um, usually if I had a, if I knew of options of a doula, I probably would have went that route. But also if I would have known that the high risk for the uh, mortality um, rate, I probably would have went, I probably would have been more aware and would have been more um, self-advocate. And so basically my family was the one who really stuck up for me. And um, now, you know, I want to be able to, to share those risks and be able to let people know or let mothers know to, to be prepared so they won't have to go through what I have went through. Because when you go into hospital, you basically, you, sometimes you are already characterized too, especially being an African-American um, woman, you already characterized and you already put into a box that you possibly are high risk. So you kind of doom when you walk into the door. But um, I think that it is so important to send mommies home with their baby and uh, for us to get the same treatment cross board like anybody else. Yes, it was, it was definitely beautiful hearing how your family insisted on, you know, you getting the care that you needed. Um, it shouldn't have, it shouldn't have had it to be an insist, right? Like if, if there's a patient complaining, right. if there's a complaining is not the word I, I want to use. If there's a, a, a patient bringing up something that doesn't feel right, like there should be an immediate response to that. And there shouldn't be this, this long line of, of having to get there. And usually within a setting, they would they would say that um, they would probably say that okay, I was complaining, right? But I just knew my body, and I didn't really know how to express that something was wrong. And so, um, you know, it would be like you complaining, but you're really just saying that something is wrong, and you want something to be done because you know your body. So knowing your body and knowing that you're healthy, and I knew that they didn't see my past history because if they did see my past medical history, they would say okay. She had previously children. She went full term. She had no problem. She has no prior incident. And now that she had this surgery, she's declining very quickly. Let's let's look into her medical history and go ahead and order a CAT scan. That way, just to rule that out, that she's not having a risk from the surgery. And if that was done, we wouldn't be talking today. So I also would like... Um if you can walk us through what your birth was like, because it, um, it 
was very quickly of like, okay, you had Kenzie and then you were wheeled to get mm-hmm. um, the tubal ligation. But can you walk us through what your birth with Kenzie was like? Absolutely. So with within having Kenzie, um, I was very, I was very tired um, all the time with Kenzie. And so I was ready to give birth. And when I was having contractions, um, I was so relieved that they were going to keep me and induce the labor and I was going to have Kenzie. And so, um, I didn't want any type of epidural at that time because I said, this is my last child. We're going to try to do it the natural way. Well, I made it to maybe seven or eight centimeters and I felt as though I probably need to, my parents was like, go ahead and get the, um, epidural because I was laboring maybe for about nine hours, eight, nine hours, something like that. And so uh, they knew I was tired. So I opted in for the epidural. Things were easy. You know, we were taking pictures and everything. Um, I was progressing along and the father, he was there initially, then he left. And then um, when it came close to that's time for me to deliver the baby, I had my family around me. The father, uh, my mother was about to cut the cord and the father ran in very nervous as a first time dad to, to cut the cord. And from there, the baby came out with lots of hair, very healthy, beautiful. Um, they put her on my chest and, you know, I just didn't have enough of that skin to skin. It was like the baby was being taken away because they said, she'll be right back. It's only, it's going to be a few minutes and she'll be, re- she'll be right back. Well, I wasn't coming right back and I wasn't even within my mindset to even know I delivered a baby because I became very, very sick. And so, um, so yeah, so it was a perfect, beautiful moment of perfect, beautiful delivery. And then when I opted in for that tubligation, everything just went downhill. So it wasn't the fact that the problem was having the baby. My, my event was during, after having a baby and postpartum. And with all of that going on, then we talking about the postpartum depression. We're talking about trying to deal with being in a hospital during postpartum, being sick, your child is gone, your 16 year old is jumping into your shoes. When you were 16, you had a baby. So now she's taking care of that one year old, you know, it affected our whole family. And so it it was just a lot trying to recuperate and I'm going through that postpartum uh, period. And, but yeah, so, but it was a beautiful pregnancy. I'm thankful that you're able to go back into that space um, because it is so heavy. So much happened to you in that short time span. um, And the birth itself could almost get lost, Mm. right? Um, But I'm thankful that you're able to hone into that part, right? Um, And and to still see it as beautiful despite all the things that happened afterward. Absolutely. I, I think what makes it, um, for me, what, what makes it, um, it's not comfortable to, to really talk about it, but what, what makes it a little bit more um, joyful or willing to talk about it is I get to wake up and care for my children. You know, I, I, I was almost 
well, I was there to the point where my children would have been growing up without me. And so when I'm able to wake up and enjoy the smiles and seeing every single second and moment of their life, I'm grateful and that time of pain seems to be at times far away. I know it happened, but that feeling of pain and everything, it becomes um, a little bit within the rear view mirror because I have so much love for these babies that I'm caring for and I'm caring for them so hard that I don't have time to go back within that time frame and dwell upon that pain. I'm not stagnant there, you know. Uh, I'm able to try to progress because time is not waiting on no one. These babies are steady growing and they need me to be strong. They're looking up to me and uh, we all, we just have one another. You just sharing all that reminds me of another storyteller we had um, and how she um, expressed about like joy and grief living in the, in the same space, right? But I love how you said th- that that time existed, that, that experience happened to you, but you're not stagnant there, right? And it's not to say like you have Absolutely. forgotten about it. You try to like push it all the way back. You know it lives there. It has a home in your journey, but you don't have to stay there. Um, And I just, I think that that's a beautiful way to look at it when we think about when, when there is trauma from birth or postpartum um, or just in life in general, right? Like those things happen, but we don't have to live in that space. Always we can carry what that, what that, what that is, what that means for our journey. Um, and I, and no shape or form, you know, this is that, you know, we talk all the time about like being in it, being in your feels, being in what comes up for you, but that you don't have to stay there. Um, that you can, you can, it can be both. And absolutely. And, and when I look at myself, I'm reminded mainly every day when I put on my clothes, when I take my clothes off, you know, cause we have to talk about the scarring. We have to talk about that when my babies try to jump on me to give me a hug, to embrace me, we got to talk about the nerve pain that still exists in my abdomen, but because they're showing me so much love, it's an out, but I'm still embracing them. And so when I see the scars, um, it's reminded that I'm still here because the scars is my story, is uh, a reminder that um, God saved me. I am a miracle and I'm still here. It's my when I wake up in the morning, I see these scars, I'm alive. I'm on this side. And so, um, you know, having, when you have a baby, mothers go through so much, you know, with the change of their body, with the stretch marks, with the scarring that takes place that they have to go through surgery. But turning those scars into something beautiful um, is something, is a strength that I had to learn how to, how to find. And so, but, and I found that strength and now I'm no longer, um, quick to cover up all my scars. You know, I'm going to go to the beach and wear a swimsuit. I'm going to, you know, uh, feel sexy about my body, a sexy mama. And so with that said, I'm finding the strength to really say that my scars is my story. That's who I am and they're beautiful and so what? Who don't like it? My babies say, Mommy, I love you every day and say Happy Mother's Day. It is not even a Mother's Day, but to them, every day is a Mother's Day because God is sending 
words through, the, through my children to let me know, mother, you are still beautiful and you're a good parent, so happy Mother's Day. So as long as they keep on telling me that, honey, I'm good. Now you did say, you shared a, quite a bit with us about your postpartum. Um, how long did it actually take for you to start to feel a semblance of normalcy with your children being home with them? Honestly, I'm still not in that straight comfort space. Every day um, I'm getting better and I take each day at a time because the struggle isn't over. The recovery isn't over. You know, I have to uh, visually go through another surgery to get a, um, a better replace with this pacemaker. I still have congestive heart failure. I still have to go see a psychiatrist to make sure that I can focus mentally, that I'm mentally healthy. Um, so we're just taking every day, time by time. I take them to the park. We're just spending every single moment. So it's not a too much of a getting, I'm in a comfort space that I feel like I'm the, I'm the strongest mom ever. And that, um, I'm just taking it each day at a time. I'm learning new ways to, to be there for my children, to, to be happy. And because the old Shanice is no longer there, the mother who I was at age 16, um, I'm no, I'm no longer, I'm no longer um, that type of individual that I, that I was back there. So I'm trying, I'm finding new ways to, to be a, a mother. I love that. Um, Cause we talk about here, postpartum is forever. Um, and you know, your journey was um, a, an intense journey and is an intense journey, but no matter what your journey looks like, especially when we, when we think about like motherhood, we say it's forever. You're always um, shifting with your children. There's always new things coming up, but I love how you said, like, I'm, I'm finding new ways to be a mother. And I, I'm gonna write that down, <laughs> put that on my mirror. <laughs> but you know, some people say when your kids turn 18, you know, you, uh, is your, your motherhood stops. No, it's forever. It's forever because, you know, you love them forever. And so with that said, you're always going to be so uh, easy to love them and want the best for them and uh, be all up in their business. <laughs> but, um, you know, I just learned how to focus more on the positive things, what I can do versus what I'm no longer able to do. And that is really working for me. You know, just making sure that my heart is, is on the right track and going to my appointments and um, just really positive energy, not stressing, no stress, no worries, uh, just really indulging in positive energy. That way I don't have to keep reflecting in that place. You know, uh, talking about the story at times, bring emotional and especially writing the book puts me back in that place. But it becomes a time where I know that I have a purpose and I know I'm able to see my babies. Like I'm here, you know, I don't have to think about them um, not being without me. I feel that I'm the only mother for my children. You know, I want I teach them what, you know, I want to be able to teach them how to ride the bike. I want to be able to teach them what love looks like, what it feels like to be a queen. 
I don't want no one else stepping into to those shoes because I had them and I want to be able to to carry them from start to finish. You have shared so much today. Um, and we are so thankful. Thank you. <laughs> Is there anything else that you... Yes. We are. <laughs> so thankful. <laughs> Is there anything else that you want to leave our listeners with? Um, and that also includes um, a little bit about your book, which we will, of course... Um, put in our show notes for people to get to but is there anything else you want to leave them with absolutely uh, to my mommies and pre-mommies um, everyone has a story everyone has a um, a maternal being a mom you have a maternal experience and if you're going through postpartum whatever you have experienced I will recommend that you write them that you tell your story because you never know what mom out there needs to hear it um, who life that you may be saving. And as far as my book go, uh, my book did release on July 19th. It's done by Butterfly Typeface Publishing. You can find that on Amazon, The Shanitian Tell Story, God Within the Lily. You can also find it on my website. Amazon only have the paperback. On my website, we got the electronic copy, hardback, and paperback. And so there's also a form where you can contact me um, as well. I would love to hear your stories. Um, social media platforms, if you just search author Shanisha Tell, you will find me. I am there. Love it. Love it. Love it. We, we're grateful. Thank we you. are so grateful. Um, yeah. Grateful for you to be here. Amen. Grateful for you sharing with us. I'm above the ground and not underneath, honey. <laughs> You know, and also it, there's a there's a time now. I got to be honest. I'm, I'm gonna be honest with you. So, I am afraid to go to sleep. Right? I'm afraid to go to sleep. Not, mm. I guess, is the form of not being afraid of dying because I know where I'm going. It's the fact of that I'm not ready to go and leave my children behind. And once I do fall asleep I wake up and I say Lord I thank you um, so it's about fear I was living a fearless life before but ironically it's crazy when something traumatic happens that is not within your control fear is put within you so now I'm having to work on um, getting that fear removed because I was once a free spirited you know um, and I, I didn't have to be cautious. Now with this pacemaker, I have to be cautious about where I go. I got to be cautious about my environment, which we all should be anyway. But um, there's a lot of things I didn't have to worry about then that I have to worry about now. And so I know um, I'm not. I'm afraid of hospitals, needles. I wasn't. I was just always, you know, uh, fearless. And uh, yeah. when you go through, when you go through having a baby it's it's a lot you carry that baby for nine months you hoping when you carry a baby for nine months the the thing that you look forward to is delivering that baby seeing the futures of that baby feeling the love of that baby and coming home with that baby well imagine if you don't have the chance to come home with that baby because either the baby wasn't treated properly and saved or whether you was not treated properly and saved so now to other mothers, they have to um, think about, will it happen to me? You know, well, I, you know, I'm hoping that when I go into the hospital that I'm going home with my baby. 
you know, but the medical system is so messed up right now. Um, I'm sure they're working on it, but so messed up right now that it puts fear in a mother as far as, will we go home with our baby? And, uh, but, you know, I'm hoping by sharing my story that would give some type of inspiration to know, even though bad things may happen, there could be a greater outcome as well. And um, I just take the cards that I'm dealt with and know that mm -hmm. I'm here. So I'm, I'm living. And I choose to live. Yep. Day by day. Day by day. Yes. We are thankful. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I thank appreciate you. it. Yes. You're going to bless so many people with this story. Yep. Though. Because we do go home mm -hmm. with our babies. Well, amen. I love Thank you guys' you. title as well, Birth <laughs> Stories in Color. I mean, because color has any type of, yeah, uh, any type of color. You know, it don't doesn't matter, um, especially anything that happens to you. It doesn't matter what age you are. It really doesn't matter, to be honest with you. It don't matter what color you are, you know. Bad things happen to good people all the time. Um, and when you pass over, none of that matters, your financial status or age or color or anything. But most importantly, when you have love, I think that really outweighs the fact that if anything happened, at the end of the day, I still have love and God still love me. Yes, indeed. Thanks for okay. listening to Birth Stories in Color. To hear this show and other episodes, head to birthstoriesincolor.com.